Now, don't forget, we're doing a live client-only event in mid-October 2022. I'll be speaking. Ryan Griggs will be speaking. Dr. Paul Cleveland will be speaking. Our whole team will be there. You're going to have the opportunity to meet all of us, and you'll have the opportunity to meet other people, individuals that are practicing the infinite banking concept from all over the country. Iron sharpens iron, so you should be there. It'll be worth it. Look forward to meeting you. Look forward to seeing you. Be there, be square. This is part two with Ed Samlowski, and we're just going to pick up where we left off from part one. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Then I wrote a chapter in a book called Bringing Value, Solving Problems, Leaving a Legacy. And I told James, anybody that wants a copy can get it through James as long as they pay the shipping and handling. Uh, I'm, I basically give those away for free. My chapter is second to last. Why ain't right your picture on the front? You would have had hair. That's that's uh, n- not my personal copies. Oh. I, I've got copies got with my picture on it. But they they give different co- uh, covers for different authors. Oh, I got it. So, like I said, I'm in the process of writing my second book. James will be hopefully right now forward to it is that an invitation <laughs> yes i don't get to write a chapter just a forward okay uh, plus a chapter <laughs> uh, we already talked about that yeah. i wrote an endorsement in uh and i've said it before in uh, nelson's second book <clears throat> and how uh, uh building a warehouse of well and uh we were in waco and he was coming to talk down there and the agent people they let me attend and i would let their clients attend our events that we hosted back in the day and and uh, Nelson held up that publication waiting for my endorsement. And uh, <clears throat> and then they took it out. So my endorsement is not in their fifth edition or second edition or whatever it is. But I have some originals around here. Oh, okay. So I'd be more than happy, Ab, to write an endorsement. <laughs> and whoever winds up owning the future rights to your book, you know, ask them not to take my endorsement out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. I mean, uh, it's funny how egos work. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry, but I don't have much ego. And being out in California with Dennis Waitley last weekend, here's a man who's written multiple books back in the 70s, 80s. He's a huge motivational speaker. He worked with all the Olympic athletes. He worked with the uh, POWs when they came back from Vietnam. He worked with wow. all the astronauts. I mean, here's a man with, he worked with Jonas Salk and he actually got a lot of financing for the Salk Institute. And one of the stories that was so funny was Disney came to Jonas Salk and offered him to give him a dollar out of every admission ticket to f- work on the and they didn't take it because it was an entertainment type business. No way. And it was that was before Dennis's time. He goes, I can't believe you didn't take that money. It would have fun- funded everything that you ever wanted to no, do. They'd have probably changed the agreement now, the people who run so, Disney. Oh, yeah. Oh, so Listen to me. I'm, look, I'm full of grace, right? <laughs> See why I need to work on my grace? But you know? here's Dennis Waitley, a man with incredible credentials – but he's also the most humble person I ever met. And and we're very similar because I, I've got a self-deprecating sense of humor. I mean, I, I don't take myself too serious. I've done a lot and seen a lot. But, you know, if, if you, 
I, I'll talk to anybody. I'll learn from anybody. I'll learn from a janitor. I yep. mean, it's absolutely so. I like the idea of he's 89 or... He's 89. 89. And this was the second time you went to see yeah. him, right? And here last week, you're out doing hang gliding, paragliding, parasailing. And I want to be just like that. You yeah. know I mean? I didn't meet Nelson until he was like 72 or three years of age. 72 or 73. And he's still le- learning and reading. Yes. And he's just got a zest for life. Like, we went out to dinner with him and you're sitting at the dinner table with him, and he goes, I don't want to talk about myself. I want to hear all your stories. Yeah, yeah. And we'd go around the table, and everybody told their life stories. And Dang, that had to be a long dinner. <laughs> yeah, it was multiple hours. Yeah, European. So, but it, I mean, here's a guy that, and one of his, the biggest takeaway I got, got from him this week was, use it or lose it. Here's a man who's gone through chemo, radiation, couldn't swallow, had a feeding tube in for a long time, still can't produce saliva. He's retraining his brain right now. But what he meant by use it or lose it, he couldn't, can't eat solid food. But he chews gum every day just to keep his jaw muscles working. He says as you get older, you, you lose balance. So he works on physical th- treat- uh, exercise just to keep maintain balance. Mm-hmm. And I see this over and over too. If you don't use your mind mm-hmm. very quickly, things like Alzheimer's cre- creep in. So... And that's what I meant by use it or lose it. It doesn't matter whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's, you know, simple things. You got to keep active. And the more active you are, the longer you'll live a healthy life. And even if you get cancer, you live it to the fullest to the end. Yeah. He doesn't, I mean, at 80, uh, he got his cancer probably 87, 88. How easy would it be just to say, the hell with it, I've had a good life, yeah. and give up? I mean, he's talking about possibly going going back to Africa. He has, is a big philanthropic guy that he pays for a lot of rangers to protect the elephants and lions with the Maasai tribe. So he wants to go back to Africa one more time. Here's a guy that will be 90, 91. I mean, it's... And he still, he was so excited about having us out last year and then this year, he's already looking forward to doing it next year again. I mean, he'll be 90. And he says, I won't let him throw me a birthday party for my 90th birthday. He goes, they can throw me one at 95. (laughs) I love it. So, but people like him, Jim Rohn, I mean, like I said, my greatest regret is I never got to see Jim Rohn alive because I was during my residency year, and so I was so busy at the time that I, I've got his tapes. I've got every tape that he ever produced. And that's but, I'm a doctor working through residency like a dog. They treat dogs better. <laughs> or back in that day, they. Oh, well, back uh, yeah, <laughs> back in those days, you know, there's 168 hours in a week. My longest work week was 144 hours. That's no sleep. I mean, 
that was a hundred. I got four hours of sleep every other night. So, and that's working nonstop. So they don't allow that anymore. Yeah. So, and it's good and bad. I mean, I can tell you the doctors trained today aren't the same quality as they were 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned Jim Rohn. I never listened to him live, but I mean, I wore out several of his yeah. series. I wore I, the uh, one, the, uh, the weekend seminar. I wore two sets of that one out back yeah, in the wore, day, wore not driving so. all over the world. And, yeah. I, right now I'm listening to Earl Nightingale's yeah. tapes. I mean, and the stories I've read, um, there's a letter to Garcia by a guy named Hubbard, Albert Hub, uh, Hubbard. And I always wondered, he wrote things before, and I wonder, why didn't I hear anything afterwards? Like Acres of Diamonds and from Conwell and other people. And what I learned was he died on Louisiana when it sank. Did he really? And that's why no other books or no other papers. I did not know that. Of course. Same thing with Earl Nightingale. He was one of 16 Marines on the Arizona when it sank. Was he really? Yeah. And the only reason he survived was he was on the rear tower of the ship above the burning deck with him and 16 other Marines. Wow. And otherwise, Earl Nightingale wouldn't be around. So... Like I said, I'm a lifelong learner, and that's something I got from my mom. I mean, and I underappreciated it at a time when I was younger. Sure. <laughs> but I love to read. I love to teach. I mean, when I was selling life insurance, it was more about teaching people than it was about how much I could get in terms of income because I want people to get it. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's what Nelson was for him was he wanted to, like he said, he used to say, if 10% of the nation would get this, there'd be no need for the Federal Reserve. It would wither away and down the vine. Yep. It would just, and the same thing with the banks. I mean, why not become your own banker? And the more the banking function you can control and, like I said, banks can inflate money. Life insurance can't inflate money. And that's why Nelson preferred the banking system to, you know, get away from the inflationary cycles. But right now, unfortunately, inflation's here. I mean, and... Like it went away. When did it go away? <laughs> yeah, so it's always been there. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm glad you brought your mother up because... That reminds me of your grandmother. Oh, yeah. Though you're German by heritage. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get in. I don't, I don't know the details, you know, to the extent which you do know. There's no question. We talked about it several times. But your mother, I believe, owned a bakery. Your grandmother yeah. owned a bakery. Right yeah, my grandfather, yeah, owned a banker, bakery and a flour mill. And yeah. this is in Germany. And... He had a stroke, and his wife decided she didn't want to run the bakery and she didn't want to run the flour mill. So they sold it at a good profit and put the money in the bank. 
and they were considered pretty wealthy at the time. Well, overnight, the currency changed. Reichsmark became the Deutschmark. Money became worthless for a period of time. And they this became like destitute. The Weimar Republic. Yeah. All the economists talk about this inflationary period, right? And what would have happened is my dad said there's about a three to six month period of time where there's just unbelievable turmoil. And if they'd kept the bakery, if they'd kept the flour mill, they would have been able to barter during that time and maintain a decent lifestyle. Now, I just met a friend. Well, I've known him for a, a year or so now. His name's Wagner. He's from Brazil. And he lived through the inflationary period down there where they literally got paid twice a day because the inflation was so high that prices would change twice a day on everything. And his family lost everything during that inflationary period. And he's a big real estate guy now and super, super nice guy. So so your your parents, they sold the bakery. They were wealthy. And then, you know, the Weimar Republic comes in. Inflation goes hay, haywire. And they're destitute. Yeah. But didn't, didn't the... Uh, didn't the uh, didn't the government issue like give everybody like ten thousand Deutschmarks or whatever? Yeah, but that was nothing. Yeah, <laughs> kind of reset, and you're going to reset at the bottom, sir. <laughs> and what my friend from Brazil just said was, one day the Brazilian government came in, basically said, "We're taking all the money out of the banks." Everybody can have a hundred fifty thousand, and that's it. Worth what four dollars? Yes, and it doesn't matter how much you had in there, whether it was ten million. And a lot of businesses couldn't meet payroll yep. because they took all their cash reserves. So bad things can happen all over the world. So there's just some place not just for life insurance but to have some gold and silver as well yeah and the other precious metals lead yeah, brass lead. and delivery systems and <laughs> yeah. whiskey you know antibiotics or whatever but you know that reminds me and, and i want to say oh which one you know during that inflationary period in brazil then it reminds me of argentina oh, and venezuela yeah. you that know could just, happen here yeah absolutely could happen here but we don't think so um, that reminds me of a couple of things. Number one, we were in Edinburgh, you know, a couple of months ago, and uh, and and then I had to stay an extra five days because of the travel restrictions, and Jake had to stay an extra eight days. Uh, but those extra five days in Edinburgh, and we'd gone all over Scotland. I'm I'm sitting out front and uh, of the hotel, and you know, I'm going around and. The city, beautiful city. I'm telling you, those are my people. The Scottish are my people, and it's my food. You know, yes, I like haggis. Okay. But I'm talking to the uh, street cleaners or, you know, you mentioned janitor. You can learn from anybody. I'm sitting out on a sidewalk cafe drinking cappuccino, taking photos and um, talking to these people. And they're from all over the world, you know, but a lot of those guys were local, like the cabbies would come and pick the people up. Tourism was booming. Um, And it was fabulous. And here we go all over Scotland. And and I'm back in Edinburgh, and I have their currency. You know, they have two currencies, right? They have the Scottish currency and then the British pound. Um, 
and and you go to buy things, they have a cash register and everything. Oh no, we don't take cash. We don't take coins. The only people that took cash or coins were the cabbies, and some of them were like, you know, really, dude, you need to get in the twenty first century, uh, or the street vendors. No one else took cash, and I'm sitting out there, and it just dawned on me in, in thirty seconds that country, the cross that country, the whole UK could be cashless in thirty seconds, push of a button, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. your credit card that you just oh wave over, you know, doesn't work. Unless you can control yeah everything yeah it's like oh my gosh um yeah i forgot what the other one the yeah, other reminder was once we become a cashless society it's that's a dangerous dangerous situation oh yeah we'll just it's all cashless do it on your cell phone we got to have that before we can implement the social credit system and deplatform you if you don't comply it's yeah it's and you know what if you don't do something at the UNME level who will right if you don't do something to protect your family to protect your cash flows your well-being who will i mean if you don't care who who should care oh yeah right and i'm not saying this is a complete solution but it'll take you a long way down the road to the solution whatever it is in the unforeseen future yeah and people forget during the great depression there was a banking holiday huh now the the bank the government also forced the life insurance companies to stop payments for a short period of time, but it's a lot shorter than the banking holiday. But what people forget is life insurance companies saved a lot of family farms, and I believe there's a time where they were actually paying their dividends in gold because they were actually safer than, but. I can't tell you how many family farms were probably saved through life insurance. Because in the early 1900s, where did people keep their money? In life insurance. If they had money, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, people didn't stop putting money or saving money in life insurance until the 50s and 60s. So people don't realize it's that recent that mm-hmm. people that life insurances or whole life insurance has fallen out of favor. And then you get into the stories of how many companies Walt Disney funded part of Disneyland through policy loans from his own insurance from his own insurance policies. Ray Kroc, mm-hmm. McDonald's, same thing, funded Beginning of McDonald's. There's so many stories like that. Pampered Chef. Um, I'm forgetting which company saved itself out of bankruptcy for years because of policy loans. So it's there. I mean, it's if people are willing to put the money into these policies, they can withstand tremendous downturns in the economy. They can withstand terrible things in their lives. So... You know, you mentioned the bank holiday, 1933, FDR gave our grandfathers, right, our mm-hmm. forefathers, about three weeks to turn in their gold and swap yeah. them for those worthless dollars, right? And the banks opened the safe deposit boxes and took the gold coins out of the safe deposit uh, box, left paper money or IOUs in there. I have a friend, uh, he's retired, uh, Joe uh, his daddy was a, a dentist down in uh, uh, down in you know South Texas, 
and uh, as a dentist, he saved gold from fillings right in the safety deposit box, and that exactly happened to him during the bank holiday. Right, they came into his safety deposit box and took the gold that came from fillings for teeth out of his safety deposit box. Yeah, but it can't happen to you, right? It can't happen to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I have a. I don't keep anything in safe deposit boxes. <laughs> I mean, it's because if, if it's happened once, it can happen again. And not it, it, not saying that I own any gold and silver because I don't want anybody to know, but <clears throat> I would never keep it in a bank. I know during that bank holiday, and you mentioned it, you know, they, the, they forced the life insurance companies to stop yeah. loans and withdrawals for a six-month time period. And that provision exists today in every life insurance company. So when you pay a premium, if you request a loan or request a withdrawal contractually, and you read your contract, they don't have to contractually comply, or they have six months to contractually comply to that. And that's direct. that provision is directly from the bank holidays. Yeah, You know, it's like... Man, they just can't keep their eyes off of what you do and what you produce. They, and you know, something we didn't discuss. You know, when you first start a policy, all policies have the thirty-day look-see period, and that came about sort of because life insurance policies became such a attraction for drug dealers. Mm. So. Literally, drug dealers didn't care about losing a little liquidity because they could launder millions of dollars through life insurance policies. So now there's that 30 day window where they, and there's a lot stricter rules about you need to make sure. Where, where did you read that? Because I've heard things like that, and the, and the government a, always says, look, we got to go cashless because the drug dealers, it's like, yeah, while a million are coming across the border every day, and you're going to hire 87,000 IRS agents to look at you and me. Yeah, exactly. And crypto's not. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, that is a psyop, in yeah. my opinion. But I mean, where do you, do you have. I, that I have to find where I, I read so much that I have to yeah. find where I'd like I to it. see it because I'm not saying whatever you read yeah. is not there, but I don't believe that for a minute, you know, because I don't think a drug dealer or, or a drug lord or whomever is going to get through underwriting from a life insurance company. It's always used, you know, whatever. That was draconian 15, regulation. years ago. Yeah, before that, they came that, up with that rule. That reminds me of the. Uh, you know the MEC rules. Well, we gotta we gotta limit what you can pay into a life insurance policy. The IRS. I'm going back to the late '80s when they determined life insurance was an investment because all of these people were sure. using it as a tax loophole. I see no evidence. I have seen no evidence. I hear statements by the government or the bureaucrats that say that, and so I'm I'm just a skeptic, right? And I'll give That's grace, right. but you know until. Yeah, I have to go back through all the stuff I've read. <laughs> so, I, would, I would like to see that because... Because there's a period where the drug dealers were laundering their money. Through of course, that's why they came up with the anti-money laundering sure. and all the bank rules. And, oh, you can't move $50,000 outside of the country. You can't wire more than ten grand or whatever the capital control limits are today. Oh. It's always because the bad guy, right? The straw man, the bad guy. It's like... So I get it. It's a well, war. Well, that's the other thing about life insurance is you take out a policy loan... The government doesn't know about it. Now the banks are reporting. It used to be ten thousand, but I think it's down to six thousand now. Oh, it's mandatory at ten. Yeah, to my knowledge. But I think they're reporting now six thousand. Oh, I'm not surprised. And 
you don't have to deal with that with life insurance. No. You take out a policy loan, the government's not involved. I mean, there's no reporting. I mean, I'm not saying that they can't cave like the ins- the banks did, like in Europe, when the Swiss banks and the Austrian banks flipped. Yeah. Uh, well, it's mainly the Swiss banks flip, and that's because they own too many banks in the United States. Mm-hmm. The Austrian banks didn't flip as much. There's always a, a legitimate sounding, reasonable sounding reason why, and, and of course, this is just my opinion, they had an idea of how much money was on deposit in the Swiss banks, and by gosh, they wanted as much of it as they could get. Oh, yeah. So then they forced, and that's too about the time the, the Swiss unpegs their currency, you know. Yeah, but there's always a good reason. We always have to, you've got to take care of the children, you know, the widows, the wives, or whatever. It's always a really good sounding reason. The end result is you're getting separated from your private property yeah. by the threat of force. But. I digress. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've gone off. We've yeah. gone off the rails here. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. Maybe we won't get deplatformed. But you know that too. Also reminds me that, and I've heard in my career, and I've done this like thirty something years. Um, you know, where life insurance is a protected asset, and in most states it is. It's regulated by the states. You know, and then the, you have the federal uh, overbearing. You know, input too, but. Um, there is asset protection within life insurance sure. and annuities. And rightly so, because if I pay a premium, that money that I paid that premium with is now not mine. It belongs, it is the property of the life insurance company, right? So it's not mine. Um, but, uh, you know, people, you cannot, that can't be the sole purpose. I've heard in my career over the years that it's like, well, they can claw back money. You know, if, if you if you were, and I'm not practicing law or anything, I'm just sharing my experience and what I have heard in my career. It's like, no, they can, they can claw back money if you're trying to money launder and all that, which is true. I have seen personally where, you know, the FBI calls up a life insurance company and says, oh, so-and-so has, you know, paid this much in premium, and you need to send us the any value that that policy, you know, contains. And, and because, it you know, they were... Uh, Those illegal funds. Yeah, or somehow, which I know nothing about and don't, don't really... Yeah, I don't... Uh, now... Even but if it, you're legitimately buying life insurance for the asset, yeah, I mean, for the protection you of your family, that's not your money, yeah. right? And it's like, anyway. yeah, it's the insurance company's money. But like I said, you have access to it. And that's the big key by contract. By that's why contract. we don't want them. You know, like I said, I love contract law, law. Yeah. and that's like I said, that's why I believe the life insurance will never be totally messed with by the government because to mess with contract law. It would void all real estate contracts. It would void all anything that involves. Well, listen, isn't that a contract between a a a, a landlord in California and a tenant? Didn't they have a contract? Yeah. Did California violate that law? Yeah. I mean, you're giving them the government, i.e., more grace than sure. me. I mean, I hope that you're true and or you're right. And I think it would be one of the last things that they shred. But my gosh, they can't control themselves. So, well, if the, once they get to that point, you got anarchy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like I said, in Brazil, and I'm not an anarchist, no, but I'm I am an anarcho-capitalist. So, like what happened in Brazil, so many of the 
wealthy people just said, screw this, I'm out of this, and they fled the country. Yeah, look at Argentina. I have not been. I'd like to go, but, you know, at one time, that, that was the wealthiest country. Oh, yeah. You know, in, in Venezuela. Yeah. I mean, oil producing, self-sufficient. Yeah. And... Uh, so what? Uh, I mean, we're, we're we're about an hour and forty seven. I had to break this in two parts. <laughs> oh, that's fine. You know, uh, we're just good at shooting the, bru- the bull. <laughs> well, you know, whenever you like the uh, people and the conversation and the subject, you know, it can go on and on. Um, and I, I think there's great value here. I think the listeners can, you know take what they like and move on or leave the rest or, you know, whatever. But you're a pretty knowledgeable guy. You got a lot of experience and we're just, you know, an hour and a half isn't going to get it done no, anyway. And I, the biggest thing I would recommend to people is learn, yeah. read. Don't just read one book, read multiple books. Learn from people like James who've been doing this for years. There's very few agents out there. There's a lot of agents who are promoters, and they're good. Um, they're good at advertising. They're they're good marketing, at marketing. Yeah. But do they actually know how to use the policies? I mean, some of the strategies I've done. I'm teaching people that don't understand. I mean, they don't do real estate. They haven't done the things I've done. They don't understand. You know, the gifting process. They don't understand the how to borrow money from a policy and actually deduct the interest that you're paying the insurance company. But it has to be structured properly. I mean, the IRS requires certain rules to be followed in order to do that. So you got to find somebody that's doing it, that, that just not selling insurance. Somebody like James... And there's others that are actually out in the world using their policies. I mean, I've learned tremendous amounts from James over the years. I mean, and I think he's learned some things from me. No questions. And I appreciate you saying those nice things. I really do. No, I mean, like I said, I, I let my insurance license lapse for a period of time for personal reasons. But, you know, like I said, at this point, if I get it back, you know, my goal is to teach people. I mean, the more people that understand how to use it, use it properly, like I said, and I have more fun. I mean, and I talked to Nelson about this. The saddest part about the, our financial world is the people that are truly dependent on the government mm-hmm. that are live in the welfare state. And I'm talking specifically about blacks and Hispanics that don't trust the system. And I have some very good close black friends that if they would get this, what it would do generationally for their families. And that brings up the story about the black Wall Street and how literally... The government bombed a black community that was extremely wealthy. And guess what? I think it's just a, a state north of us here. Oklahoma. Most people Tulsa, have no, no, most, most people have never heard of that story. I think I think people of color 
you know well, know about that and they know you know they they know i mean they're like anyone else you know i mean some people like history and some people don't but um yeah, yeah. but if if the blacks community and the hispanic community would embrace this quote this this concept it would get a lot of people out of the welfare situation. And I don't care what color you are or where you're from. I mean, like the like in South America and Central America and Mexico, I forget what they call it, but, you know, they have, uh, they call it something, and if you're Hispanic and can help me out, uh, where everybody puts in money, and then when they need it, what is that called? Atanda. I can't hear you. It's called Atanda. Ataca? Atanda. 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 Thank you. Um, you know, and that's how they fund things, right? Because, you know, uh, there's a lot of cultures that don't believe in life insurance. Sure. And then there's cultures that don't believe in interest. You know, so every culture is a little bit different and, you know, which is perfect. But in the, in the, a uh, lot of different communities. I mean, why would they trust the government? Sure. Right. And so I, it's like uh, churches or nonprofits, families, generational. I don't care who you are or what color or where you came from. It's like we all need access to capital and getting rid of that gatekeeper is the solution. Yeah. You've got to build capital. Right. I mean, well, I, the I, trust I've set up for my kids, it's a family bank. Yeah. And they'll, they will have to talk to each other, and each one of them will have veto power on the other one. And if they both can't you agree— You're going to make it all complicated for them there? <laughs> yeah, not too complicated, but if they can't decide between the two of them whether a loan can be taken out, they're going to have to come to somebody like you to arbitrate it and say yes or no. And— and they can only borrow up to you know a certain amount of the what's in the trust, and they have to pay it back. Yeah, and with interest, with interest, absolutely, and that that trust can last for several generations. And you know, there's some dynasty trusts out there now that can go multiple generations. But you know, I don't know if I want to go to that extent, and I don't know the expense involved with that, but. I want, like I said, families should have a trust. I mean, uh, in terms of uh, a family bank where they can go to the, the family and say, I have a worthwhile project. Will you loan me the money? Mm-hmm. And the family decides yes or no. Yeah, I like the idea of that. And then family foundations, you yeah. know, I mean, Ryan Griggs, you know, he's going down that road and we talk about it a lot. It's like, you know, what What an altruistic concept. You know, we're all, I mean, most of the people that buy life insurance is because they love their family. You know, oh, they're no. thinking of other people. Yes, they have access to the capital and they're going to do things. I mean, but if if you don't, uh, so I'm just saying that, that, that uh, the people who this resonates, this message of becoming your own baker resonates with, just like you said earlier, you know, if you, you were working while you're going through chemo, because if you're not, you're shredding and reducing and retarding, yeah. you know, your family's future values and cash flows. So, I mean, there's a very altruistic component um, that can't be separated out of yeah. the infinite banking concept. I mean, when my t- time, like Nelson put it, when my time graduate comes, I want somebody to be able to look at my life and say, Everything he ever did was for the family. And wow. 
That's noble. Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, when I met Nelson, he in his presentation, he's always talk about how he's in the short rows, you know. Yeah. And like I said, he's 72 or 73 and lives another 15, 16 years. Um, and, but you get to a point where – and I don't think it should be some far off distant point. I mean, we're all altruistic now in sure. our own way, whether it's service or, you know, financial or something. You, we should help others, you know, and, you know, you should help yourself and your your family. You know, it's like the old adage, and I got it from Jim Rohn, you know, who's a great mentor that I wish I would have even listened to him live and I never did. Um, but he said the old adage of, you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back in business, quote unquote. He said, no, no, no. no. He said, um, you take care of yourself so you'll be there for me later or can be there for me later and I'll take care of myself yep. so I can be there later for you. Yep. You know, I like that. So Absolutely. it's okay to be properly capitalized, take care of your people, take care of your family and then help others. You know, if you can't take care of yourself to be available to help others, then it's a moot point anyway. Yeah, my entire life has been about service to others. Absolutely. I mean, it's... And I may have been too altruistic at one point, but it's, I have no regrets being that altruistic. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can go to my grave saying, and face the judgment seat and say, hey, everything I ever did was for the family and to glorify God and... I'll deal with what I have to deal with at the judgment seat. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank God for grace, which I'm Absolutely. working on personal grace. You, know, it's you like, keep talking about this grace thing. I mean, uh, you know, I had a young although, man. Although we used to talk about this, about we'd go, we, when we used to teach together at meetings. Well, I had a young man come in from uh, Alabama last week. You know, he, he, he was here a day or two and you know and Grace was I mean, we talked about a lot of topics mm. you know Jim Rohn Infinite Banking uh, you know Nelson and and he was and Blake you know and he was like and we had a lot of great questions and a lot of them were, were you know centered around Nelson and uh he said, well, what did he do in this situation? Or what did he do in that situation? And from what I know, you know, I'm not speaking for sure. Nelson Nash at all, but I'm sharing my experience with Blake. And, uh, and you know, and Nelson was just so graceful. Somebody, yeah. it's like Gary North to come up. Gary North's Christian author was the uh, late Gary And he North. loved his writings. Nelson loved his writings. <laughs> and I did too until I read that one oh, article yeah. about Let, uh, us, pray. Let us Pray, yeah. P-R-E-Y, you know, and he's blasting whole life insurance agents, blasting whole life insurance and their character and all that. And I was like, I was like beyond mad. And I'm like, Nelson, how how do you like Gary North? And he's like, well, he does this. I'm like, have you read this? He goes, well, yeah, I read it. And I'm like, yeah, you're not angry. <laughs> and he's like, well, James, he just doesn't know what he doesn't know. And I mean, I, I'm like, man, if I could be that graceful someday. Oh, yeah. No, know. it's, yeah, Nelson and I talked about that. Uh, you know, and I've read that article, Let Us Pray. And you got to feel sorry for Gary and you got to feel sorry for Dave Ramsey. Although Ramsey has been challenged, yeah, I need grace because I'm having trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Ramsey has been challenged enough by people around him that he knows better, and he's chosen not to. And maybe he's in bed with the you know Wall Street and I don't know owns I, a term life insurance company. I don't know. 
I I have no idea, but and I don't care. No, I don't either. But he's definitely wrong in so many points. And I've listened to enough of his conversation. Like I said, there's a chapter in my book that basically debunks Gary North, Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, and I went through their their writings. And when I was selling insurance, I never preyed on anybody. That's disgusting. I mean, it's my goal is to help him. And like I said, when this nurse comes to me, you know, ten years later, and she's grateful because now she has something. And she's financed cars. Oh, I don't remember all, but yeah, she's and, and she's she doing it. And she didn't understand it. She and did, she wasn't paying no massive, you know, million dollar no, premium. Five hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So I love that. No, the, those are my favorite stories. When you help, I mean, the the rich can always find somebody to help them. So my, have each other. <laughs> my, yeah. No, my my friend that the puts one hundred ninety three thousand into a policy a year. You know, they have financial advisors that can advise them, and oh, rightly sure. or wrongly. But somebody like this nurse, they don't have anybody. Yeah. Or some of these poor people that can only put... And those are the ones I have the most fun with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes they do take time, but ultimately those are the ones you got to change your lives. And that's where I have the most fun is taking care of those people. Because that's where you're making a difference generationally. And that's where my heart is towards the black and Hispanic community. Because if you can change their thinking and change their thought processes, the effects you can have two and three, four generations down the road are incredible. And like I said, even for my kids, I want to be in heaven looking down and hear somebody four or five generations down saying, you know, I read something by great-great-grandfather Ebb, and man, he must have been one smart, cool dude. <laughs> I hear he's skydiving and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Deep diving for the Atosha yeah, shipwreck for years treasure. ago. I mean, the guy's really an adventurous individual. Yeah, and next so. week I'm going hang gliding with my son. Yeah. And one of the things Dennis talks about, he says, don't leave your kids with loot loot and things. Loot? Loot, like cash, loot and things. Oh, loot. L-O-O-T. Give them roots and wings. Yeah. Because they're going to forget. If you give somebody money, and that's why... When I give charitably, a lot of times I give things because people will remember things. Yeah. If you give them cash, they won't remember a week from now how much cash you gave them. And the same thing with my kids. I want them to have memories. Like I have memories of my parents. My parents took us all over the world. I was in Europe every other summer. They took us on Oh, I've probably been on 10, 15 cruises with them. The Mediterranean, North Africa, Caribbean. Those are things that stay with you for the rest of your life. 
going key um when i'm in alabama my daughter wants to go caving so we're gonna go yeah. caving so we're gonna i'm gonna hang glide with you're gonna be son. like a spelunker yeah he's gonna be underwater and do <laughs> not that underwater, cave diving not not cave diving but yeah. at least we'll be in the yeah, yeah but they'll have memories for the rest of their lives they'll yeah. have pictures i mean and i photo document a lot of stuff because one of the things that I've done so much in my life that people think you're a bullshitter. <laughs> I mean, literally. So you got to tone it down for them so they believe you. <laughs> so unless you have pictures to prove it. Yeah. And when people say, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm an expert skier. And I said, mm, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I try to avoid that word expert. You yeah. Know what I mean, but whatever. And I'm not, I'm not an expert at anything. I'm a, jack of all trades but i've done master of none is the other part of that (laughs) yeah and i'll never be a master i'll never know it all and that's why i said i can learn from anybody and i listen to other agents talk i can learn from them i mean even i don't want to mention any names right now but there's some that are good marketers yeah great they're i could learn from them yeah i suck as a marketer i mean me too and I was, I've was i been accused of being the worst salesman in the world, and I love it. I, I love that. Yeah. You know, it's like, thank you. Yeah, I don't need – I mean, I'm not out to sell. I want to help. I mean, there's a difference between selling and helping. Yeah. And like I said, my goal is to help people. And if I, in the process I sell something and bring them value, so be it. You know, I love that, that, like, Jan and I decided years ago on, like, gifts, birthdays, or Christmas, whatever, less things, you know, giving less things and more experiences, and, because, I I mean, I completely agree with you, you know, money is money, and there's, you know, uh, it's it's required, and I get all that, and, you know, money might not be the solution to all things, but it can grease a lot of wheels or whatever, but... Whenever, whenever you see your children's uh, world expand because they're walking in eight hundred or thousand year old cities and streets, you know, going around the world. I mean, that is priceless. And I, when we really started this, Riley was very young, maybe two or three years old. And then when she gets into you know pre K, kindergarten, first, second, third, you know, her teachers. She went to a little private school, and her teachers would. And, and other friends and things like, well, man, she's really young. She's not going to remember all that. Well, I don't know, you know, and I don't know. And you don't either. Maybe she won't remember all of it. But it's not like we went that one time and stopped. You know, we continue to go. And and just the the broadening of their horizons is, is priceless, you know. Oh, yeah. Just traveling the world at an early age, letting me see how other cultures lived and seeing the extremes that I saw, mm. the poverty you yeah. see, and you get, you, it, it changes you. I mean, it's, and right now I'm doing a huge study on, you know, tithing, gifting, first fruits, and even studying people like Andrew Carnegie and, he talks about charitable giving in terms of 90 plus percent of charitable giving, you might as well just throw it in the ocean because you're not doing the people any good. He goes, 
and it goes back to biblical terms. If you teach a man to fish versus giving a man a fish is a huge difference. And mm-hmm. that Andrew Carnegie believed that you're better off giving money to educate people, to help them better themselves where they can get themselves out of whatever versus giving somebody on the street that's going to buy booze or pot or drugs. The very town you live in has a Carnegie library. They're yeah. all over. They're all over the country. Unfortunately, it's not a Carnegie library anymore. And no. they, they broke the rules. I God. mean, they were supposed to be perpetual libraries. Right. And now they've, they've turned it into a museum. Right. Now, Carnegie also bought 7,000 organs for churches around the world, around the country. So it wasn't just the libraries, but he, if you read his, he's got a book, uh, The Advantages of Poverty, he's got his autobiography, and people always said he was such a harsh business owner that he didn't pay his workers the adequate wages. And what I've learned from Carnegie is he also created more millionaires than anybody else and his attitude was that if you didn't give a damn about anything but going home and drinking and not bettering yourself, he would pay you minimum wage. But if you truly wanted to better yourself, he would help you better yourself. He would he he wanted people to succeed, but you had to have a desire. Yeah, yeah. But if you go home and all you do is watch TV and drink and you're performing at the minimum standards for the business and making very little money for the company, he didn't give a rat's ass about you. Yeah. Wasn't he ours? Yep. I mean, what are the worker going? What's the worker going to do? We go home and drink, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> no, if it wasn't for the uh, whiskey, the Irish would rule the world. Now he didn't go home. I, mean, I know. And the funny, uh, and Ford was the same way. Carnegie knew nothing about the steel industry or very little. And Henry Ford knew very little about the auto. But they surround themselves with highly trained, highly educated people like Carnegie surrounded himself with John Schwab and other people. that steel knew, magnet. Yeah, that knew so much more about the steel industry than he did. But he knew how to keep these people, to motivate them to do what the, they needed to do. Ford was the exact same way. He w- was before Congress. He'd been maligned, and he was suing somebody for defamation of character. And this opposing attorney kept giving him all these trivial facts and asking him, uh, he goes, ask him about how many British were killed or how many British were in the United States during Revolutionary War. He said, a lot fewer went back than came. <laughs> and he cracked up the audience, but he finally said, he got tired of the questioning. He goes, on my desk, I have a, a panel with all kinds of push buttons, and I can just push a button and get whoever I need who's an expert in that field. So, and the Carnegie was the exact same way. He goes, he surrounded himself with people that could answer the questions, who could do what they needed to do. So they didn't fill their minds with trivial knowledge that they didn't need to know. Yeah. So that's why I'm surrounded by the team that I'm surrounded by. <laughs> they care and yeah. they're good, you know, and they show up and oh, they yeah. do it and they're doing it. And that's the thing. I mean, even 
none of us are an island by themselves. I mean, you have to surround yourself with people that are better than yourself. I belong to a mastermind group, and the only reason I really joined it was I get to meet people that would meet in no other way. I mean, when you meet people that hang around with Literally, one of them now runs the freedom tour for that Trump speaks at. Mm. So, I mean, it's wild to say you're just... And they used to call it the seven degrees of separation that you can get to anybody in the world within seven people. In today's age, it's probably two or three. Wow. I mean, with the, the electronic age that we're in, and I, when somebody told me that, I said, I had to think about it for a while, but then I said, holy cow, I know somebody that hangs around with Richard Branson. It would take one phone call to him, and you could connect to just about anybody. So yeah. it's probably true in today's age. And like I said, for me, like I said, I can learn from anybody. And like I said... Another guy, there's a guy named Robert Helms who runs the real estate guys. But his father used to come to these inner circle meetings, and he's he was in his 80s. And he's sitting there taking notes just like everybody else. Right. I mean, and that those are the people that, if I live to be that age, I, I hope I still have that zest for living it. Like Nelson and Dennis Waitley, Jim Rohn was another one. His mentors were the same. Earl Show. Earl Show. Only one known recording of him that I'm aware of. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And then his other friend, uh, the hillbilly, I'm blanking on his name right now, he's from West Virginia. Um, oh, what was his name? But anyways, he he said he was the smartest man he ever hung around with. I mean, you got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Yeah. That's why I hang around with you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> That's why I hang around with you. <clears throat> All right. So we're going over two hours. So we're going to break this yeah. up into two parts and, you know, get some traction out of it. But anybody that wants this book, Call James' office, and I'm going to give James a signed copy. What? Yeah, I'd like to have a copy, a signed copy. It's like, why are you putting all the work on me? I'll give him your cell phone number. Oh, that's you fine. Can, no, I'm kidding. No, I, they, can, they can email me. So your your books uh, that you brought are good, and people can zoom in if they wish. Um, but when it comes to the infinite banking concept, and I agree with you, you can learn you know, something from everyone. But when it comes to the infinite banking concept, if you're newly exposed to this idea of becoming your own banker, you must, I encourage you, you, I mean, you, don't, you must not do anything. You can do whatever you want to do. But if you want to learn about the infinite banking concept, Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. His second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. The How Privatized uh, Banking Really Works, Carlos Lara, Dr. Robert Murphy. And then Nelson has a six and a half hour DVD series available, I think, in our store and at Nelson Nash Institute or infinitebanking.org. That is your foundation. Especially since he can't speak anymore, you actually get to listen to his lecture. No question. Look, becoming your own. And that, like I said earlier, that six and a half hour DVD series, that's Nelson Nash himself presenting live. 
and that's downloadable in digital format. And then his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, is also available on Audible. Now, the Audible version chapters don't match the printed version of Becoming Your Own Banker, but it's easy access to this foundational information. And I think that that's so important because of all of the other writings that are out there, I'm not saying that they're all bad, right? But some of them are not worth listening or watching or reading. Some of them are. Proper classification goes a long way here. Go to the source, get the foundation, so then you'll be able to properly classify some of this other stuff. All right, that's just my encouragement. And I totally agree with that. That's why I read Nelson's stuff first. I listened to him speak at least 20 times, plus my personal conversations with him. I mean, I treasure that he considered me a friend. I mean... Well, when you get up there, you know, he always said, I'm going to pass the pleasantries and get right to brother and have a conversation. You know, go ahead and pass the pleasantries and talk about that interest on somebody else's money. (laughs) (laughs) The third party lender. No, but, you know, like I said, I use Nelson's books as the basis. And then I've read all these other books just because I want to know what other people are doing sure and because if you know what other people are doing and what they're teaching that's right or wrong you become better because if you can sit there and say so and so wrote this but this is where they're wrong or this is why they're flawed and you can only do that if you read their stuff like i said gary north's writings are i have to agree with nelson i like a lot of what he's written uh, I've read that article, Let Us Pray, and I, I cringe. I mean, the guy didn't understand. And I've learned over my lifetime, I speak less and listen more because there used to be a saying, um, let somebody look at you think you're stupid, lest you open your mouth and prove you're stupid. Or it's in that line, you're better off keeping your mouth shut. Even at a lot of the meetings I go to, they said, you're, you're pretty quiet and you've done all these things, but you let other people speak. And it's like, well, it's, it, I'm not near as humble as Dennis Waitley is, but... I'm trying to get there that I can appreciate everybody else around me. I don't I don't need to speak. Yeah. I mean it's I'm more of a doer. Like I said, I want people like I said, I will if the good Lord gives me the time to finish this book, I'm writing the book for my kids. The title will be a Path to Financial Freedom for Doctors, Lawyers, and Anybody Else. Mark Victor Hansen told me that any book that you write that's geared to doctors and lawyers, showing them financial freedom, everybody else is wanting to, will want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, And like I said, it's not about making money off the book, but it's to educate them because the book will actually be broken down into two parts. The first part goes through my story, but it also, there's a chapter on divorce, because even in Christian marriages, 50% of people in Christian marriages get divorced. 
it's no better than the secular community. And unfortunately, you know, anything that you earn while you're married should be split 50-50. But so many men and women, I have a female friend that literally, she made over a million dollars in a in a business, but she paid for everything in her marriage. She paid for the cars, she paid for the house, the mortgage, she paid for vacations, she even paid for her own wedding ring. And yet when they got divorced, she had to give up half of everything. And she brought stuff into the marriage that she should have kept separate. Yep. And that's one of the things I talk about. If you, Before you get married, and I wasn't a big fan of prenuptial agreements, but there is a place to keep things separate or inheritances. If your parents leave you something, if you commingle the money, it goes away versus keep it in a separate account that's yours and you you can share it with your spouse but you don't you there's a way to do that yeah. without commingling yeah money. without commingling the gifts and inheritances yes. are separate property so there's unfortunately a chapter in that but then the rest of it's my philosophy the first half of the books of my philosophy of money just and it's about gifting and things like that then the second half of the book is truly about infinite banking, giving Nelson all the credit. But it's about how to use it in different situations. I show people how you can take any recurrent bill and make it look like a premium payment, like we did with that one doctor. He's paying malpractice insurance every year. Why not make your malpractice insurance premium look like a premium payment and there'll be specific examples of how different people used it for different things and how to structure it so you can gift your kids the money and make it look like they have a basis how you can do a real estate deal and be able to deduct the interest and I have to make sure I go through some lawyers and some business people, make sure that what I'm writing about is totally legal and I don't want to get in trouble with the IRS and the government. The government? (laughs) But like I said, I'll go into detail that Nelson didn't go. Nelson believed that over time you'd figure these things out. It's sort of the prophecy thing and logic, reason, and prophecy but there's too many people out there that I've seen that haven't figured out how to use it properly. And there's some very smart people I've, I know that haven't used it to the best of their abilities. My attitude is you've got the cash sitting there. Use it and use it to grow. And the more you use it, I guess one of the things about banking as soon as you borrow your money as soon as you start making the policy premium repayments do what the banks do borrow the money out again immediately on a bank on a usual loan can use that money over seven times in the same loan period 
you should be able to do the same thing in your insurance policy. You know, borrow the money, make little repayments. As soon as it builds up a little bit again, use it to purchase something else or do something else or invest. Now, I'm more into investments, so I put it in investments and just keep using it over and over and build the wealth. Good. Your book will then maybe bring clarity because, you know, out there in the big wide world is like pay a premium and borrow it as fast as possible. The cash values and collateralized cash values, borrow from the life insurance company and go put that money to work, which, you know, that can be done, but that it needs some clarity. So get to writing your book, you know, and there's, you know, nothing at all. The capital stock of a bank is money. So before you get into banking, you got to have capital 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 oh yeah so it's okay to focus on a capital accumulation a capital capital formation um and i'm that reminds me back in the day early on when i met nelson and you know and i listened to him a humpteen times every opportunity that i could i did and uh he wouldn't even directly answer a question you remember that oh yeah i mean he would he would ask you another question you know to make you think and uh and that's then, that was the big thing about Nelson. He wanted you to think your way through the solution. Yeah. But I'm I'm at a point where I believe some people and this came from Bill Russell, some people you gotta lead, some people you gotta push, yeah. and some people you just gotta put your arm around and walk down the road with them. And that came from Kevin Eastman, who was the assistant coach for Doc Rivers with the Clippers, he spoke this last weekend, and he gave us all kinds of insights on pro players and their thought process. He talked about Kobe Bryant and some of the other famous players. But with the infinite banking, there's some people that you, you literally have to pull them along and there's some you got to push along. And like I said, there's some you just got to put your arm around and walk side by side. And that's why it goes a little against what Nelson. Nelson thought you got to learn it on your own. And Well, yeah. I mean, I get you. I, I understand. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, I genuinely do understand. And it's like, you know, because one of the things Nelson never stressed is like how he used his later on in the later years, he started talking about some of the things, but he didn't talk in detail about his policy and how he financed several deals through his policies, like the Timberland, and then the guy needed more money. The airplane driver. Oh, these the are, attorney. The attorney. I mean, yeah. he had an insurable interest because he loaned him the money for the plane. Those are because the guy wouldn't buy a policy. Yeah, and then he Nelson still never took did that buy a policy. Cash flow and bought a policy on the guy. Yeah, well, huh? And I believe the guy died. <laughs> I believe he did. I believe we're all going to. And I believe he got a windfall out of that. I believe he did. But that's not written in any book. The the details of it. No, the details. And those are stories that Nelson could have capitalized on big time in terms of teaching people how, I mean, when your own lawyer doesn't get it, he flies planes and he, come, and he doesn't have the money to buy his plane. What? 
and he borrows the ne- money great from, amount of curve Ev. come on <laughs> yeah and he borrows money from nelson who now has an insurable interest in the guy and then the guy dies and he's got a windfall i mean it's like those are stories that should have been told, I mean, in greater detail. Now, we know them because we talked to Nelson and we became friends. But the real estate deals, or even when he bought that property with the tower on it, and they ended up selling for silver. I mean, those are stories that need to be told. And... Like I said, my stories are going to be different than Nelson's stories because we do different real estate deals. But it's still the concept's the same. And Nelson, like I said, he he wanted people to figure things out on their own. And I'm sort of more of a teaching type. I, I want people to... I can go through examples and they can take it to the next level. Yeah. I mean, like I said... I'm into passive income. I'd love to loan people money and have an insurable interest in them. And it it can be a small, I may pay for a kid's college or something like that. But it may, and I will only have an insurable interest for 20000 or 30000 or whatever amount that I'm loaning them. But, and I'm not going to see it, but my kids will. Yeah. No, I hear you, I, and and I agree with an awful lot of it. You know, don't disagree with an awful lot of it, should I say. But, you know, Nelson put it, those examples in his book, oh. Becoming Your Own Banker, and, you know, he said he would if he rewrote it, he wouldn't put them in there because people look at that and, like, oh, this is how you do it. He gave examples of how to do it. Then imagination, reason, logic, and prophecy, you know, it's okay for them to grab the concept and then go do it. But, you know, he also said that we all need coaches, you know, to help keep us between the lines. And um, But so many agents don't do real estate. So many agents don't do other things. Yeah. And they don't listen. I'm not saying there's not a place for your butt, man. Like get get the work done. You're different than most (laughs) most people. You've done real estate. You've done other things. Yeah. You've bought policies. I mean, I talked to a guy that literally he is a huge lender. He closes two hundred. He's a mortgage broker. He closes over two hundred properties a year. That boy is working. Oh, he's got multiple people working you for him. You bet he's got a great team. But I don't care. You do 200 of anything in a year. Oh, You're yeah. working. But when I started talking to him about he wanted to get into per- private lending, I said, do you know if you lend money out, you got an insurable interest in it? He'd never even heard of the concept. And he bought policies from somebody else. And I'm teaching this guy. I done, I'm not getting anything out of it, but. You know, I'm helping him figure out, you know, how he can get passive income. I don't know how many hard money lenders we've talked to in the past. And, you know, some get it and some don't. They can't get past the arrival syndrome. Not all of them. I mean, we've had some experiences with some very able and capable people. But, man, you can't teach a man anything that already knows everything. Oh, yeah. Um, And I I know nothing. (laughs) So I can learn from anybody. (laughs) I don't know what I don't know. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's you got to stay humble. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line is in this business, I mean, just 
and I'm going to work on grace and then humility. How's that? The other thing, I, yeah, the other thing <laughs> I noticed, and and I I don't get, and I saw this in medicine, which is so cutthroat, where doctors are literally trying to destroy each other's careers. There's so much business out there, potential business out there. Yeah. I I see no problem helping other people out. Right. I mean, if agents would help each other out. Instead of trying to cut each other's throat or trying to one up the next person, split business. I mean, it doesn't. Every profits. You know, you look at what Nelson did. You know, of course, he was, you know, a forester by education, a, a, a substantial real estate investor, and he happened to like timber, timberland, timberland. But he became an agent in 1964, right? And here he didn't, you know, his story is in the front of becoming your own banker. It wasn't until 1980, you know, that he goes through all what he did. And then he continues teaching in, until 20 or 2000. Then he quits, he quits writing business other than his family. So he quit acting as an agent. And then he's doing these seminars all over the country. I mean, yeah, sometimes it depended on the host. You know, you, you'd have to pay most of the time to sure. attend. But it was peanuts, right, for what it cost to even do a seminar. Sure. And, I mean, look at all the people he helped. And so, I mean, I, I get it. The older you get, um, you know, you, you why die with all your knowledge, right? Why, why not share it? Why not pass oh, it on? Yeah. Well, so, look what you charge for your seminars. Big bucks. money. Yeah. <laughs> $59. Well, you know, I don't mind buying your lunch, but you got to kind of co-pay for some of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how many of meetings I go to yours? I, I mean, have no idea. A I lot. Mean, a lot. I mean, you went to like every time that, I mean, we we, we went all over Texas. Yeah. I remember going to Houston, Las Vegas, and Dallas. Chicago. Chicago you know, yeah, real we, estate deals. Yeah, and, we spoke at multiple things, didn't yeah. you know. Then we co-spoke at a lot of them, and then and then you you spoken all over, you know, and it's like, what'd you get paid? Zip. No, it cost you to go. <laughs> yep. Right. So, you know, it's kind of like giving, you know, and being altruistic, you know, and, and like the the. And I have know, no regrets on I Yeah. I mean, look at all the people you met, fine. and you never know who you're going to meet and who they know. You know, I was talking to a guy, I think I mentioned it before, I was talking to a guy a couple of months ago, a big life insurance or insurance deal, and uh, he'd been in the industry a long time, and his daddy's a life insurance agent, live and well today in his mid to late 80s, and this young guy, just GQ guy, get it done, CEO of, you know, a substantial organization with, I mean, substantial uh, uh, agents, and, you know, we were just chit-chatting, hadn't seen him in a while, so we are catching up, and... Uh, you know, his daddy's old school, and he's telling his dad, he's like, hey, you need to get a brand. You know, you need to do this, and you do that. And his dad is in his 80s, like, I am my own brand. You know, he still goes door to door and meeting with his clients. And I'm like, I love his dad. Never met him. But when he was a young man, his daddy told him, he said, if you want to be wealthy, and if you want to do good, he said, you've got to meet people. The more people you meet, the wealthier you will become. And I never heard that. Or if I have, it didn't set with me. Sure. And I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Not meeting people to be wealthy, you know, not like I'm going to meet you to see if I can make something off of you or do. But it, it makes it made sense to me. The more people you meet, the more wow. people you know, you're going to share with them what you do. They're going to share with you what they do. And, and man, God's people are creative. 
you know i mean it's like we all are very different and and it's very cool see i love like you're mentioning earlier you know you like uh the lower uh smaller premium or smaller lower income or what have you and i I like them all i mean uh, it's like you know you're putting zeros on a premium or whatever on a cash flow it's like the guy that can pay a million dollars in premium a year doesn't know everything and he doesn't know what he doesn't know and they want to learn just like everybody else you know and and so i kind of like yeah, except some apparently of complicated. <laughs> yeah, but but a lot of them are not. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are just you're like, you know, yeah, really. I'm, I never thought I'd met. I've met seven billionaires now, yeah. and who's counting? No, no, it's, and I never thought I'd meet a billionaire in my mm-hmm. lifetime. But they're some of the coolest people. Yeah, they got nothing to prove. They. A lot of them are easygoing. I think I told you the story about meeting the one out in Vegas at the Inventors Conference. Here's this guy. He actually wrote the program for the internet. Mm. He, said, he, used to, he joked about Al Gore, Al Gore? Took, yeah. took credit for it yeah. because I actually wrote the actual program. And he was sitting right next to me, and we're just shooting the breeze. And finally, I turned to him. And I said, I got to ask you. I said, has money ever caused you any problems? I said, well, I, first I asked him, I said, what's your why? I said, obviously, everybody needs a why to get up in the morning. And he got a little teary-eyed, and he he became an angel funder, and he was helping a lot of startup companies, and he'd provide the management teams and all that to get them off the ground. And he'd only take a small percentage of the company. He he could easily take 50, 70, like Shark Tank, where they take a huge chunk of the company. No, he was only taking 10% or less. But then I asked, I said, has money ever caused you any problems? He goes, yeah. He goes, my kids have been kidnapped twice and held for ransom. And he goes, I can't go anywhere without a bodyguard. He goes, my favorite place to go is Monte Carlo because nobody knows me and I just fade into the woodwork. He said, the only problem is it costs me 200000 a week to be there. <laughs> I said, I'm going, holy cow, 200000 a week. But at that level, it doesn't matter. But these billionaires, they, like I said, they have nothing to prove. My friend that hangs around with Richard Branson says he's the nicest guy in the world. And he says, yeah, somebody like me is not going to get to hang around with Richard Branson. Call but- your buddy. <laughs> no, I, I don't do that. I mean, yeah, I'm going to be in the Virgin Islands next week. Okay. Uh, All right. uh, and I, I li- I'm not a, let's, let me phrase this properly. I don't idolize famous or or rich people, but I like hanging around them because they're movers and shakers. They're doing things. So I think we spoke in an event, named that or called that one time, movers and shakers, of yeah. real estate or whatever. <laughs> I think, and I'm not a mover or shaker. I'm just a. We were there to hang around them, right? Yeah, I'm just. Around, I like to hang around those people. Anyways, that's enough for that. <clears throat> I like. I like everybody. Um, all right. Well, listen, thanks, Ed, for coming in and sharing your time. 
I appreciate it. I'll send you a check, okay? Oh, anytime. <laughs> it better be a big one. <laughs> Maybe I can get a policy loan from you, huh? No. <clears throat> I, I'm glad to do anything for you. I mean, it's, it should have been, we should have done this a long time ago. I've, I've badgered you. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. You beat me it. over the head with a stick. Yeah. Okay. Now you figured I was going to die here soon. So I'm like, yeah, look, you're going through cancer treatments, bud. Come on, right? <laughs> no. I'm no, I'm planning on hanging around for a while. Yeah, me too. Perfect. I mean, I've got some good news. So I, I said you're winning earlier. That's what I meant. Good news. You're yeah, winning. It's it's. I mean, I'm I'm not through the woods yet, but it's it's. I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. Perfect. All right. Like I said, thanks for coming in. Greatly appreciate you. Thank you for listening. I had fun. Hope you enjoy. I'll probably make two parter out of this, but you know. If the first one's good Hopefully enough, I said something worthwhile. <laughs> I think we've covered a lot of ground here, and uh, some people will like it, and you know, some may not. So some will listen, and some won't. And may I get some hate mail? May I get some hate mail? Right, go start a hater page. You know? <laughs> we hate Epson Lusky. Right. All right, thanks, Evan. Thanks Thank for listening. You. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.